Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. The best NFL preseason storylines this hour, Outkick 360. We return, hour number two. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We're going to talk Zach Wilson's knee injury update, what that means for the Jets in week one. Mayfield and Darnold battling it out in Carolina. Kenny Pickett's play in Pittsburgh. Trevor Lawrence looks comfortable, and Travis Etienne is heavily involved in what they're doing offensively in Jacksonville. And that's just skimming the surface of the topics over the next 45 minutes with John McClain. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. He has covered the NFL for 50 years and is full of great stories and is a great storyteller. And Chad, I know that's where we lead off today with a great story. So on Saturday afternoon, after I got done watching an exhilarating Bills Colts preseason football game, I turn on the television looking for something to watch. I go to HBO Max and I see First Blood. Rambo First Blood pop up, and I, I start it. And I get 20 minutes into it, and I'm thinking, this movie still holds up. It's amazing how well done this action movie is. And I, I tweet it out, to which this is how I find out that Brian Koppelman, who is the creator of the TV show Billions, follows me on Twitter. Because he immediately responds and says, you're absolutely correct on, my, on what I said about First Blood. And then he told me to listen to a podcast he did talking about rewatching the movie. Um, but then one John McClane responds also, and says, ask me about a story involving First Blood and former Oilers Titans owner Bud Adams. John, that, that's where we have to begin today. Please tell us the story. First of all, First Blood was released in 1980. It was based on a book, and nobody had any idea that it was going to spawn two uh, sequels, neither one that was as good as the original. But And I've seen it a bunch of times. If it's on, I'll watch it. And uh, so it was, it picked up steam in 1980 when it came out. Sylvester Stallone, of course, had been big for Rocky in 1976. And he'd made some bad movies for paydays and the critics had ripped him. And then First Blood comes out. Nobody's really paying attention. Then it started getting positive reviews. And, of course, guys just loved it. And so it was in, it came out in 80, and I think it was early in the 1982 strike shortened season. I had a couple of Oiler employees call me and said, Bud Adams has signed our checks in red ink and told us we're not getting raises because times are tough. And so they wouldn't let me use their names. And so I decided it was a Friday. I was going to write a story about it. So I called Bud's office. They said, "Uh, let us check. No, he's not busy. He's busy. So I said, would you tell him I'm writing a story in a Chronicle tomorrow about Bud telling his employees they weren't going to get raises because uh, times were tough and he signed the checks in red ink. Well, in 
two minutes, Bud called me. He said, what are you writing? I told him. And he said, if you write that, you won't write on our charter. I said, Bud, I haven't written on your charter. He said, if you write that, we're not giving you comp tickets. I said, I don't, I don't take comp tickets from the Oilers. And finally, he goes, well, who at the Chronicle is equal to me? And I said, thank God, nobody. But if you want to call the publisher, that would be Dick Johnson. I believe you know him. And he hesitates a minute. He says, if you write that story, you're going to start a war. You won't win. Let it go. So he hung up. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now, all of a sudden it dawns on me, where have I heard you're going to start a war with me? You can't win. Let it go. And then it dawned on me, first blood. <laughs> that was in first blood. Yeah. Now, I'd only seen it once at that time. And now that's a very famous scene where Brian Denny, the sheriff, Stallone pins him up against a tree and puts his knife to his throat and tells him that and says, let it go twice. So I go on the radio Monday night, and I know Bud listens because people told me that he sits on his sofa in his den in front of the TV, and he has the radio on, and Bud likes to drink, and so he's got his glass there. So when I'm on, I said, Bud, and I wrote the story, and he called Dick Johnson, our publisher, and Dick Johnson told him, hey, that uh, I'm the beat writer, and if the editor, sports editor had no problem with it, he didn't either. So... I say on the radio, but I said, I know you're sitting on the sofa with your shirt off and your camouflage pants and your camouflage headband and your big old knife next, maybe in your belt, having a drink. I said, why don't you call me and we'll talk about people not getting raises and we'll talk about you telling me I'd start a war with you. I'd never win. Let it go. And I said, First blood. And of course, he never said anything, but I thought that was so funny. I That's can't imagine great. Bud Adams back then would have watched First Blood. So somebody may have told him or he just had it on. He and Nancy one time in the TV and he said, leave it alone because leave it on. And I never asked him about it after that. But I could just picture Bud sitting there looking like Sylvester Stallone. It's amazing. In first blood. It's incredible story, John. In, in fact, the movie came out in 1982. I know that because it's 82. It was yeah, yeah, you're right. But it, it so it you're time, right because no, no, excuse no, me, Chad. It times it up perfectly with your year. story because it was October 22nd, 1982. The movie actually came out during the strike shortened period, from September to January. It was in the middle of that time. That the movie comes out, so that that makes sense. And I well, that he thanks for refreshing me because he would have told me that the next year in the off season when he was decided not to give raises, and the employees said, "Bud hit the ceiling," said he's going to give everybody lie detector tests with the general manager, Lander Herzig, talked him out of. It's funny you made reference the big Rambo knife that Bud Adams would be holding in in this story because I sat through the entire title sequence at the end of the movie. And they have a credit to the man who made the knife in the movie. He has a knife shop in Arkansas. And it has the actual guy who made Rambo's knife for the movies that was handmade by this guy who made knives in Arkansas in the, in the early 80s. So that's what Bud Adams was. It was a badass knife. Yes, it was. John McClain with us. Uh, we're going to roll through the big headlines. And, John, I'd like to start by just asking you, 
Uh, of the, I'll give you three quarterbacks here and the top performer according to you from preseason week one. Um, who made his case to mo- the most, either to to win a job or to ease any doubt about how things are going? Would you go with Kenny Pickett, Trey Lance, or Trevor Lawrence? Because I got, I thought all three stood out in a big way last weekend. Well, first of all, there's more pressure on Trey Lance than any of them because nobody expects the Jaguars to do squat. But Trey Lance, the 49ers, are a playoff contender, and they moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo, even though he's still on the roster, but would be traded or released before the first game because if he's on the roster, they'll have to guarantee his contract. So he's gone one way or another. And there's a lot of pressure on Trey Lance who started at the end of the year. I saw him beat the Texans last road game early January, and he was okay. But Kyle Shanahan has invested a lot in him, so it's got to be him. Kenny Pickett being a rookie this year, played the second half, played really well, scrubs against scrubs. One of the things I've learned in my 47 years of covering the NFL, I never saw squat in a first preseason game that had jack to do with regular season. Yeah, and Pickett. I don't. I don't know. Of course, practices are going to carry more weight here than uh, a, a series or two against third strings, uh, because he was the third quarterback playing in that game. But he looked. He looked very good in command. He's certainly a fan favorite. That's without a shadow of a doubt. But based on the reporting there, John, it it looks as though uh, they 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 pretty much split the reps and handed them off one way, and they're treating Pickett like a backup going into the season. He looks like a a true sure-fired starter, though, uh, based on the way he performed for Pittsburgh in week one. If he keeps it up, then probably about a quarter through the season, they'll put him in the lineup. I remember when Big Ben was a rookie in 04, he didn't start. They had touchdown Tommy Maddox. Then he got hurt. Ben went in, and I think he won his last 10 games. And they went to playoffs and got beat by the Patriots. But uh, Pickett, not just the fact that he went to Pitt, uh, but he was a fan favorite. You know, their their facilities are connected. There's an entrance for the Steelers and an entrance for the Panthers. And Pickett used to tell people how much before he would walk into the Panthers, he would look over to Steelers and dream about what it would be like to be able to go into that entrance. And that makes it even a better story for him, puts more pressure on the Steelers. But you know Mike Tomlin's not going to bow to any pressure. When he plays, he's ready to play, he'll play. I thought with Lance, the thing that stood out was his leadership, aside from that bomb on a touchdown drive to open the game. I mean, that that was a – it's tough to take away many things from a preseason performance, but that left a mark. Like, it, we haven't seen much of him. He started two games last year. He's been the starter all offseason. They've treated him as that with Garoppolo not even there. But the way he commands the huddle, the way he was on the sideline, plus that opening possession, and then what was like a, a, a what it was like a fifty-yard touchdown pass based on the highlight reels I was watching. Um, he certainly looks the part, and that's I mean, to me, he eased all doubt. Like he, you can see what Shanahan is doing and why they handpicked him, and what they gave up to go get him. That pass he threw was a bomb, and it was right on the money with yes. coverage. There's not a quarterback in the league could have made a better pass on that play. You know what they want from him, consistency. When he played a little last year, 
it was the first time in a while because his last year at North Dakota State, he played one game and they shut down their season. And the only reason they had that game was to invite NFL teams to come see him. And he didn't throw real well, but then Kyle Shanahan fell in love with him throughout the offseason process of scouting. And uh, when you've invested as much as he has and you have the offensive weapons that they have, beginning with running back receiver Debo Samuel and tight end George Kittles, he's got weapons. He's got a good offensive line, and now they expect him to produce. Will he produce like Patrick Mahomes in his second season with limited playing time as a rookie? Uh, That's rare. But certainly Kyle Shanahan and general manager John Lynch have high expectations for him because they want to compete for the division title. I don't doubt that the 49ers moved on from from Jimmy G because of his play. There's also reports out now, I think headed by Mike Silver, saying that he he kept disappearing in off-seasons, particularly in 2018. He signed that big contract. Was it 137 million-dollar contract, and disappeared right after that. Nobody could reach him by text. He wasn't answering calls for, like, weeks and weeks, which sounds very odd behavior for a franchise quarterback collecting a big check. What do you make of that? Mike Silver, who left Bally's to go to the San Francisco Chronicle, our sister paper under the Hearst uh, banner, uh, Mike quoted an unnamed assistant coach. Uh, is pointing that out. I'd never heard of it. I don't know if anybody had. Certainly didn't seem like Garoppolo. If you take that report and you remember the one where Martellus Bennett and echoed by Julian Edelman about Garoppolo not playing hurt in 16 when Brady was out forcing Jacoby Brissett, a rookie, to play hurt and Garoppolo not telling him to the last minute and putting the team in a very bad predicament and how Bennett first said it and then Edelman said it. Those are two things. If you're a coach to another team and you're thinking, okay, we're going to trade for this guy, we got to investigate these reports to see if there's anything to it. It's weird timing. Like I, I don't, I'm not saying the 49ers dropped this um, to, to silver, but yeah. Why would they want to hurt him? They want to raise this happened his value. in 2018, a, a year and a half later, the dude took him to a super bowl. Sit all you want. Don't answer your phone all you want. And oh, by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo has been a true pro behind the scenes right now, um, knowing that he's not the guy that they've moved on, that they traded up and drafted Trey Lance last year. Um, We shouldn't overlook that part of it either. The 49ers have treated it open and honest with him too. But move the guy if you're unhappy with him and don't give him a, a, a major contract that last four years before a story like this gets out and after you go to NFC Championship games and play for a Super Bowl where you lead by 10 in the fourth quarter. Maybe he just took one of those IASs like like uh, Brady's doing right now. Maybe so. What do you think Brady's doing right now, John? There's a report out that it's not his health or his family's health, which I didn't Yeah, that was out over the weekend. It wasn't made a very big deal out of. Rick Stroud wrote that in the St. Pete Times or Tampa Times. And Rick's been covering them forever. And if he writes it, I believe it. For sure. Because everybody immediately thought about his mom having cancer. That was scary. Right. Because she had cancer and she beat it for at least for the men. And his dad's older. And I think it was totally mishandled. They should have announced it from the get-go. Brady should have explained it. And when he comes back, of course, he's going to be bombarded with questions about it. And I don't think 
the Bucks have a problem with it because the alternative might have been for him to be retired, and that could have been part of the conditions. And maybe he's hanging out with Dan Snyder on his yacht in Spain or wherever uh, Snyder was all that time when Congress was trying to get him. They're here tomorrow, so we get to see uh, Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask well, test and, the and, Titans' corner. And, John, should we start to get a little bit nervous about Brady's desire? I mean, he did retire for a short time this past offseason, and now he's bolting for two weeks. It's very un-Brady-like in training camp to not be there for everything and want to be a part of everything and to have a pre-planned two-week absence. Is it time to start to get a little bit concerned about him completing this maybe final season? Is with it the it's unheard of in it's the NFL. It's just one week, I thought. I thought ten, he's back ten days. August 20th. I like remember um, – where he is, turned 45 on August 3rd, I believe. And and a lot of people would question his desire. And he's a perfectionist. You know, once he gets to work, he works his tail off as hard or harder than anybody. And he's on his teammates all the time. And that's part of being a leader. Well, taking off in training camp to go on vacation, if that's what he's doing, and it looks like that's what he's doing. That's not being the Tom Brady we all know and respect. But, you know, he comes back. He's ready for the opener. He plays great. Who cares? Yeah, but the – I mean, the perception of that uh, – I'm with Chad. That doesn't feel like Brady taking the vacation. Like, um, Brady, Brady to me is not going to pop up on TMZ in August on vacation. Like, that, that's, that's what that would mean. TMZ would break the story, not – not ESPN. It's it's almost like they had some trip planned or something, maybe with his wife's family that when he retired, you know, retired, this was made, and he made a deal that I'm not gonna I'm gonna be a part of that trip no matter what, even if I leave training camp and he worked it. Either way, though, it's just like I keep saying, it's very unbrady like. Well, regard. I mean, and look, I, I think he's gonna be fine if he plays. He'll be okay. He doesn't need every little second of training camp, but. The Tom Brady's of the world get to be Tom Brady because they believe they need every second of preparation and every second of training camp. Yeah. So this goes against every fiber in his being. Maybe he's in Brazil visiting those relatives. There he's you on go. the catwalk with Giselle yeah. right now. It's fashion week in Milan, and I let, believe, I mean, right We now. haven't so seen any pictures. Here's what I you do know. know. If he's, yep. hey, here's if, what I, if he's anywhere in public, we're going to see pictures, right. and there have been no videos taken of Tom Brady that right. we know about. Think about if somebody got a good one of him, think about what TMZ would pay for that. It would be six figures. Huge. No, no doubt. What, what I do know, John, is the, the guy would love to be in South Beach right now. Uh, it was December of 2019. He met with Miami. December of last year, he met with Miami. Um, I, I don't think he wanted to retire. I think he wanted to stay in football, but he wants to be playing in Florida and a little bit further south uh, based on the uh, trajectory of going into final years or the final year and setting up whatever you're doing for the future. He's like me. He likes the Atlantic more than the Gulf. Remember, Stephen Ross was going to give him a piece of the team. A piece of an NFL team today valued at, say, $5.5 billion, even if it's just 1%, that's even more money than he's going to make from Fox. Paul likes the Atlantic over the Gulf so much, he goes to the Gulf every year now. It's a family decision in which I get outvoted. <laughs> but you love it. You every, love it when well, you go. Maybe that's also why Brady uh, is taking this week off. Too much family seaweed decision. in the Gulf. He had to go to the other coast. <laughs> it's yeah. tough. Just drove over to the other side. The I love, Brazilian how, pa- I love how Paul pi- piped in to say he's like me. <laughs> Tom Brady's nothing like you. 
Uh, minor example. <laughs> uh, minute. <laughs> Just the Atlantic Ocean sense. Yeah, I assume he likes. I assume he likes the Atlantic. Uh, as long as there's a yacht on water, I think he's he's totally comfortable. Like John. The Mediterranean. The John's Atlanta. a yacht guy. Many, he's, many a, oh, he's, a, he's like John. He likes he's yachts. A, he's a yacht man. Loves yacht rock. The whole thing. Yacht rock. Hit us up on Twitter. I love watching Below Deck. It's one of my favorite shows <laughs> on Bravo. I watch Below Deck Australia, Below Deck Mediterranean, and just Below Deck. And it's been on for years, and I never paid any attention. I paid attention once, and now I'm mesmerized. You guys check it out. Oh, Thank I, God there's, there's a backlog for I, you, John. I didn't know there, was, there were multiple versions of Below Deck. Oh, yeah. And there are great reunion shows, which... Uh, oh, the reunion shows for Housewives. That, that, oh, that's, that's the staple of Bravo. Any reunion Those are always show the best. on Bravo is worth watching. It, it is appointment viewing. Uh, every every Real, Real Housewives of Orange County reunion, I can almost recite to you. They're, they're television perfection. All right, so when we come back, uh, this is overreaction month uh, every year in the NFL, but some storylines do turn out to be completely accurate. And there's two wide receivers that are receiving a heap of praise. And we'll ask John whether or not he's buying it or simply chalking this up to it's the preseason and we'll see it. We'll need to see it to believe it. I, I think we'll go 50-50 on this when we come back and compare the two on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. John McClain with us across the Outkick Network, 6th and Peabody, our location here in Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, John, a part of the Hall of Fame committee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, just like Paul. And uh, John, you were on a committee meeting and a vote today uh, involving the uh, the seniors uh, on the uh, the panel that you're a part of there and selecting those. And I know there is there a press conference already taking place or is it coming up later? It's going to be announced tomorrow at noon. Um, we had 12 senior finalists, 12 of us on the committee. Uh, I requested to present Chuck Alley, great Cowboys linebacker. I grew up watching in Waco when I was a kid in the 60s, and a lot of competition in there and a lot of great presentations. Took us about four and a half hours. We'll all find out tomorrow who made it. Paul's got a coach and contributors meeting next week. And I've already said, I hope the coach that gets in there, Paul, is going to be Buddy Parker, who won two championships with the Lions. Yeah, he's a very strong candidate. I'm surprised you did it in four and a half hours, John. Were you all talking four minutes on your person? Uh, no, a lot of people went over the four. And when you have seniors, especially some that most people didn't see, so you don't have a lot of people talking about it, when they open it up to the floor, but uh, I made mine. I Rick Goslin brought his in at three fifty eight. Uh, I Brett did mine exactly on four because I talked slow as the clock counted down, 
And then I think Jeff Legwall, your former colleague at Tennessee, and made it under four minutes, but some of them went longer. And they have a buzzer. You know, you're talking, eh, and at first you're like, whoa, but then you just keep talking. And it's a, it's a great process. I'm eager to see who gets in. There's three senior members this year. They're all deserving. But I gave Chuck Alley everything I got. I called Bob Lilly, Gil Brandt, and uh, – and it was a guy that he was one of my first heroes. So when I requested him, they said, okay. And then I'm like, oh, what did I do? I'd rather take somebody that, you know, I, I didn't cover. But anyway, I did everything I could get. And hopefully it'll help Chuck Kelly, who's 86 years old and has been out of football for 49 years. Good luck. John, we uh, Thank you. last week when we had you on, I asked you about your excitement level for Hard Knocks Detroit Lions edition. Now I'll ask you, what is your excitement level and, and your response to episode one? I, I personally loved it. I liked Dan Campbell. Knew he was going to be a hoot. The thing I didn't like was uh, 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 God, the running backs coach, Deuce Staley, going at Aaron Green. I thought it was overdone. I know uh, Aaron it was, Glenn. It was, yeah. Aaron Glenn. Yeah, Aaron Glenn who used to play here, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, and Deuce Staley trash talking. But I thought Staley overdid it. The guy I liked the most was Dan Campbell. And then when they told me that Aiden Hutchinson was going to do Billy Jean and it was great, and I'm thinking, yeah, right. And so when he came out, he started a little slow. But then when everybody stood up singing Billy Jean, it was tremendous, and I can't wait to see the second one tonight. Yeah, I also liked that. Was it Malcolm Rodriguez did the little like Latin dance during the the one yeah. of the team things? It's like yeah, salsa. Everyone was talking about Billy Jean, which was great from Aiden Hutchinson, but I thought that was very underrated. After I, I watched You're his little right. dance, it was good. It was very good. You think J.C. Treader's out of work and uh, because of his union presidency and uh, and that the team and the teams and the league generally don't like the guy in the, in that position of power. Well, Drew Brees did it, and they liked him fine. Eric Winston did it for years, and it wasn't until he couldn't play that he got cut. And so maybe, you know, the Browns need a center. I'm surprised they haven't reached out to him. That's usually what agents say when their clients can't get a job. But I think there's some validity to it. If you go back, my first strike, I think, was 77. Next one was 82, then 87. And the guys who headed the union – and some of them on the executive committee, if they weren't really good, they were gone. You think he feels any pressure of taking a minimum deal because he's the union president? Boy, wouldn't that be something? I think if he wants to play and that's all he can get, he better do it. But uh, if you you don't have to play to be the union president right away, but I think like Eric Winston, he was able to do it like two years after his career ended. And and uh, now he's gone into business, but I think there is a lot of pressure on J.C. Treader, especially a lot of the things that he said about the owners and money. So if he turned around and took it, I think people would be understanding. But I also think a guy of his stature, yeah, you shouldn't have to take the minimum. Give him a million. Give him a chance to make some more based on incentive bonuses. I don't know how the Browns ended up with the depth they have at center. So they they lose um, Dawson Deaton. He was a rookie who was carted off like th- three or four days after they lost their starting center, Nick Harris, to a, a season-ending knee injury. And they have Ethan Posick as their third-string center who's already on the roster. 
He has started 40 games in the league. He was drafted in 2017 or 2018 by Seattle, I believe, but he's out of LSU. And 40-game starter as a third option at center is not bad, except for the fact that he's listed at 6'6". That is ultra tall for a center in the league. The Texans have a center, Justin Britt, who's 6'6", and about 325. He was really good with Seattle, blew out his knee, came here last year. He's okay. He still had knee issues. But, you know, some of those guys, they know how to get their head down and their butt up. And as long as your quarterback's not, you know, five foot eight, it doesn't seem to be an issue. But the Browns, if you think about all the picks they've had, money they've had under the cap, they've done a good job of stockpiling depth. And I think what they got going on at center is a great example. Zach Wilson comes up lame on a non-contact injury. And uh, the surgery, according to reports, Ian Rappaport uh, and Schefter and others have tweeted about it, everything seems to be okay. It looks like the procedure went well. They didn't find anything more serious than what they were expecting to find, which means he could be available by week one, uh, but the timetable could push it past week one where they, they're they playing against the Ravens. But what a scary moment, and Paul brought it up yesterday, but Jets fans, while they may not be calling for a Super Bowl, they are certainly excited about the upcoming season because of Zach Wilson and, what, four or five plays into the game He's uh, trying to make a cut on that on that knee going to his left and comes up limping. It did not look good. I thought when I saw him walking off with a little limp as an ACL. That's what happens. We have an ACL. Once you get carted off and once you get the blood flow back, you can walk with a limp. And I thought that's what it was. And then he said he had successful surgery. He never had anybody say the successful what surgery was not successful. I've never seen that. I'll tell you, there's no way he's playing that first game against the Ravens. They're going to let Joe Flacco play against his former team because there's no need to rush back a quarterback who's going to be on a bad team. Make sure he's 100%. This is not Phillip Rivers in the playoffs against the Patriots in 07 when he had to have a scope and came back and played in the game and limped around two weeks later. And, John, there are really two examples of why not to play your starting quarterback, your franchise quarterback in a preseason game in that same game because Jalen Hurts got drilled on a dirty late hit out of bounds in the game. He was fine, uh, but what did you make of that moment and then Nick Sirianni's response to that moment? Well, Sirianni went ballistic as he should have, and if that kid that made it doesn't get fined the maximum, you know, there's no justice because it was a cheap shot and a half. And Hertz was very classy about it. But, man, Sirianni knew he wasn't talking about Robert Sala. He knows him very well, but he was mad at the player, as as was uh, uh, his own coaches chastised him. But uh, they got very lucky with Hertz not getting hurt on that. All right, John, tell me if it's just preseason hype and you'll have to believe it to see it or if you're buying some of the talk based on where they are. Two wide receivers um, who were teammates last year. Let's start with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown has looked phenomenal. If you read reports out of Philly, if you watch him play, so good, in fact, that they're shutting him down for the preseason. On to the regular season for A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts and the connection that they have. Are you buying that he has been torching that secondary a good secondary in Philly to the extent that the media is raving about him. Absolutely. The guy's a great receiver. We've seen him torch 
teams for the last two years, and he's going to torch people in the NFC East unless some cheap shot artist ends Jalen Hurts this season because Brown is great. That is legit. I, I believe it, and uh, we see it firsthand. That guy brings energy to practice unlike any player on offense. Absolutely. That There is a different level of expectation when A.J.'s practicing versus when he's not, and Jalen Hurts looked really good the other night too. Like he took that hit, but he, he drove the football down. They connected with several different receivers, but AJ's taking the the star. He's the star of the show. And it's rare that you see a trade come through in Philly. That's why I'm raising an eyebrow. Philly's raving about him. That that's why it's, it's intriguing to me because he's, he's talking the talk and he's walking the walk after the trade in, in the draft. And he is, he's their reason for hope with Jalen hurts. There's absolutely nothing surprising about that because you guys have seen up close and personal what he's capable of doing it. I've seen it from afar and against the Texans. I'd be shocked if he doesn't have a great season uh, with Jalen Hurts. The other one, and I'm I'm shocked that he's healthy right now, Julio Jones. Julio Jones is working over the Tampa Bay secondary in practice. Now, this was going – this is – I'm reading a report – that was right after the preseason game. So this is Brady still around during these practices. But the one-on-one, seven-on-sevens, 11-on-elevens, not only is he practicing, he's practicing well and showing up day in, day out. He's stacking practices up. So much so that veteran reporters in Tampa are comparing him to Antonio Brown of 2020. Are you buying that production? I'm buying that he's doing it in practice like everybody's saying, but he's been hurt for how long? You know, let him put together a season before everybody starts declaring him for the Hall of Fame again like they were for so long. He was such a big disappointment the last two seasons. And even once he got that big contract in Atlanta, he was not the same. And I hope for his sake and the Buccaneers' sake, he comes back and plays well. He's got to stay healthy. But, man, oh, man, what are the odds that he's not going to have a hamstring injury? He'll be on the field, John, here in Nashville for his uh, 12th practice in the city of Nashville uh, after being on the team the whole year last year tomorrow. So he'll he'll be the story tomorrow with Brady not here. It's very interesting, John. Um, he's He's a great example of how certain teams treat vets and star power versus others. And Absolutely. It, it comes down to who your quarterback is. Tom Brady's practicing. Julio Jones is practicing. He's not practicing with Ryan Tannehill. And your coach's willingness but, to, to, to push or, or swallow what he has to swallow with a guy who just won't, well, can't get out there. Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is doing whatever Julio right, well, Brady's needs. coaching that. Same as Vrabel. But point being, John, um, they're raving about him because he's actually on the practice field. And we didn't see that here. And I... I I'm intrigued by that because the Titans practiced against the Bucks last year. They didn't play many starters, either due to injury or fear of injury. Meanwhile, Julio's reportedly coming and making the trip. Mike Evans, uh, I, I believe, is not going to be here. But Julio Jones is making the trip with backup quarterbacks. That speaks volumes to me. The fact that he's making the trip to practice when it was known the guy doesn't want to practice in Atlanta or Nashville. He's got a lot to prove after what's happened to him the last two seasons, so it doesn't surprise me at all. And let's see if he does it during regular season. Well, regular season's a bit different because I think there's more of the body management to it. But right now, we didn't see it last year for him, consistently. 
And I, I think there's just an expectation. You're right, though. I mean, he's got a he's got the what a six million dollar contract to practice for, which I don't believe is guaranteed unless he makes the roster. I may be completely wrong on that, but Tampa was strapped for cash, so I don't particularly know if they had six million laying around. Point being, uh, once he makes the roster, and by the way, they've got two or three young receivers who are playing well without Mike Evans practicing on a daily basis and the the upper tier that we know is going to be the starters um, coming off of injuries. Do you think uh, – go ahead, John, if you had something there. I was just going to say Mike Evans doesn't need to be practicing or playing in preseason. Yeah. I know he's hurt. All they want to do is target him for regular season. But they got to see if Julio Jones is healthy and if he's going to be able to be uh, make spectacular catches like he did – in Atlanta in his heyday. And uh, with Chris Godwin coming back to play with Evans, he's not going to have a whole lot of opportunities, and he's going to have to make the most of it. So he's going to be – you're going to get the best of him in practice and preseason because he's kind of in a desperate situation. We've been talking a bit about the Vikings, John. I'm curious how you feel about them. Zimmer kind of wore out his welcome. That team always seemed kind of miserable down the stretch with him. Now a, a young coach who maybe is going to uh, sling it a little bit more, rely on the run less. Justin Jefferson maybe primed for a huge year, but we kind of had the division clearly stacked. You think they have any chance to challenge Green Bay, or do you think like we do, they're kind of locked in as, at number two in a division where you've then got Detroit and, and Chicago bringing up the, the rest of this? I agree with you guys, Paul. They're locked in at number two ahead of Detroit and Chicago are not good. And they're going to have an explosive offense. Nobody knows for sure with Kevin O'Connell as the first time head coach, Wes Phillips, Wade Phillips' son, Bum Phillips' grandson is the new first-year offensive coordinator. But they got weapons. They got balance. They got a good running game, good receivers, okay offensive line. And I'm sure the defense is tired of Zimmer tearing them down all the time because negativity was the way he coached. So Kevin O'Connell has got to be uh, a sigh of relief for those players. But they're playing for a wild card berth at best. John, I don't know if surprise is the right word here. Um, what was your overall feeling and reaction knowing that the Browns started Deshaun Watson in that game for as little as he actually played? And what good did it do? Well, first of all, it uh, gave fans around the league a chant to use every time <laughs> the Browns come to town and he's on the field. It's pretty easy to remember. It's three three uh, words, and he's going to get that everywhere he goes. He's going to be like Jose Altuve getting booed everywhere he goes the rest of his career. Will he respond like Altuve and continue to play well? That was a good example. If he hadn't played in a long time, he didn't look good. They need to play him as much as they can until he's suspended because he's not going to come riding in on a white horse when he comes off his suspension and step in and be a great quarterback like he was in 2020. There will be an adjustment period. I'm just uh, – we were having the discussion yesterday. I don't know what seven throws or whatever it was ends up doing if you're looking – if you want to get him work, play him in the second half. If a guy hasn't played in a year and a half, put him in the second half and give him the reps and let your starters for week one work together for another week. Like now they've moved on. Uh, they're, they're making the transition now and this week with the first team reps. But to me, they should have done that a week and a half ago, two weeks ago when the ruling came down. I wonder if that was the plan or in fact, he looked so bad 
they pulled him <laughs> and said, oh, we saw what we wanted to see. Okay, that's also fair. Uh, on the way out, the Titans have claimed Lonnie Johnson. He's a former draft pick, I believe, of Houston. Um, and uh, it wasn't that long ago. And he's not on Houston's roster. He's long gone there. He was in Kansas City. They've waived him, so the Titans have claimed him. Um, any chance he provides any sort of, of help to a secondary that's banged up in Nashville? Lonnie was a second-round pick out of, of Kentucky, 6'2", 215, great size, could run. They tried him at corner, didn't work. They tried him at safety, it didn't work. Eventually, they gave up on him, trade him to the Chiefs for a conditional pick if he's on the roster, a seventh-round pick. He's already been cut. Nobody does a better job with ex-Texans than Mike Vrabel. And you look at Lonnie, you go, wow, that's an impressive guy. But he has not been able to put it together. Here, just another former second-round pick who bombed out. Last thing on the way out, um, we we were having a discussion yesterday about Kenny Pickett and how, based on what we saw, now's the time to work him with better players because he he was throwing it around the yard against guys he was dominating in college um, in that preseason game. He is now getting reps with the ones in practice at Steelers camp. He's running a two-minute drill right now with the first-team offense, so there's a storyline to watch. And uh, we'll continue to play out the – Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield storyline another week. They're, they have a joint practice this week against the Patriots. The Panthers do. And traditionally, Darnold has been awful against Belichick's defense. So this may be the week where Mayfield takes the lead in that completely. Mayfield's a starter. There's no question. I don't care what they say. They didn't trade for him to back up Sam Darnold. Time to name it. Name it and move on. They won't. They won't. You know, coaches go as long as they can to do something like that. They think it motivates them. They think it confuses the opponent, which is a bunch of BS. Yeah. Mayfield doesn't need any more motivation. He's been humiliated. It's last year of his contract. He is out for vengeance, and he will be the starter, and it'll be against the Browns, and it'll be one of the most hyped games of the season. The Browns out. are going to have their binoculars going, who's that number six out there in the Panthers <laughs> uniform? I, I've never seen this player before. What does He's he bring to the table? Out for this vengeance is shocking. And out for first blood. John McClain joins us uh, every Tuesday. John, thank you as always. Thanks, John. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. And, uh, Chad, next time you watch another movie, I'll see if I got another story. Hey, I started thank First Blood Part 2, so thank give you. us your story next week on that one, the sequel. I'm already on to it. Thanks, John. He'll bring it. There's uh, John McClain. Follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Uh, Amazon has Thursday night football, and there's a first for the streaming services in regards to live sports. Um, more than just Thursday night football being exclusive there. Uh, we'll tell you the details on that and what Amazon is telling their advertisers next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13.
Amazon has Thursday night football, and for the first time for a streaming service, they will have Nielsen ratings behind it. Outkick kick 360 rolls on. So we'll get to see what they're pulling versus what we were seeing with Fox and NFL Network. And they have put out um, projections to their potential advertisers as they charge for this. Expecting five to seven million. We talked about people not knowing and figuring it out. But I think this is a big step because what we've talked about streaming-wise is the lack of transparency, which we hate with everything. And, you know, on Netflix and all of these things, you just kind of, they tell you, hey, such and such is doing really well. And word of mouth tells us, hey, everybody's watching Stranger Things. But we have no real idea about the numbers. And I don't know how this is going to work that Nielsen's going to tie into it. But we'll get actual numbers. And I think the NFL probably wants actual numbers. Um, And certainly the public does. Um, I I think just because you want to put it in context with the rest of the games. Yeah. Um, And they they were pulling... We do. They were pulling some of their streaming numbers, though, last year because the NFL would always combine it through TV and digital. Sunday morning London game that they had. Yeah, they were doing something. So so Amazon has told their their potential sponsors or ones they're joining that that's they, the reason. They're expecting 12 and a half million viewers to tune in when the games start next month. Uh, and this is all per ad age. Uh, last year the most watched Thursday night football game was Thanksgiving. They uh, Thursday night on Thanksgiving night over 20 million people tuned in. The lowest Thursday night football game was 10 million. That five and, to seven, I think, is they have a preseason game. Okay. And they're expecting um, 12 and a half on average this year. There was the uh, there was a game, a preseason game this past week, the Seahawks game. Two and a half million people tuned in to watch it last weekend. Was it Seahawks-Steelers? Is that the matchup? Yeah. Two and a half million. It's like 400,000 more than people that tuned in to watch Yankees-Red Sox. That's oh. crazy. Crazy. People love football. Yes, they do. We continue to talk so next we. on Outkick 360.